Hear the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 56. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea, and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the shore at Gennesaret and anchored there. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried throughout that region and began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the end of his robe. And everyone who touched it was healed. This is the word of the Lord. We're continuing in Mark. One of the things I love about preaching through the books of the Bible is um, I don't ever know what's going to come the next week. I'm like, what am I going to talk about this week? I don't know. I've got to read the scriptures, see what it's going to talk about. It's, it's kind of exciting. Um, one other thing I want to say before I start is I was talking to, um, I was talking to one of the members of our church, and um, she said to me, she said, I've never been to a church in which the pastor expressed affection for the congregation. He said, that, that is very interesting and, and meaningful uh, that you do that. And, I, and I, as she said it, I was like, I was thinking about all the letters that Apostle Paul would write to his, his uh, disciples, and he's all, always like gushing with affection. <laughs> he says stuff like, you're, you're my crown and joy when the Lord comes back. So because she said that, I wanted to say it again. I, I care about you guys, and, and you guys bring such joy uh, to my heart, both like as a, as a body, but then I just think about specific conversations I've gotten to have and, and to see God at work in people's lives, even, even in the hard times. It's just it's such a gift to me uh, to be able to see that, and you guys are an encouragement to me. So let's, let's get into the text. Um, what I want to say, the thing about what is, what, what is the topic, is, is we can easily forget God's track record of miraculous faithfulness. The verse I really want to hammer in on today is it says his disciples' hearts were hardened. That should throw you off. Because if you've been following along in the book of Mark, their, their, their hearts had no reason to be hardened. They, they were seeing Jesus' miracles day in and day out. Matter of fact, they had just witnessed one. If you remember last week, they had witnessed a miracle where Jesus turned five loaves and two fish into enough food to feed over 5,000 people. So when you're reading the scriptures and it says their hearts were hardened, you got to go, wait, why? What is going on here? How could their heart, they, they, like two hours ago, they just saw a miracle. How could their hearts be hardened? And this is a warning to us that we need to be careful that we don't allow our hearts to be hardened. 
Because if our hearts are hard, when times are, are, are troublesome, we won't see the power and the plan of Jesus. We won't have confidence that he is with us and that he will deliver us. So we're going to text. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please help us to understand your word. Well, your word is a gift to us. And you speak to us through it. So speak your word to us this morning. Would you apply it to our hearts and help us to see you with great clarity? It's in your name. Amen. All right, so when you get look at verse 45, it says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Now, what is interesting is this is actually, this verse gives me a, a good chance to, to do a recap of, of last week's sermon. If you remember, last week's sermon was about the fact that the disciples had been doing a lot of work for Jesus, so much work that the scripture says that they didn't have time to eat. Like, that's how, that's how busy it was, serving people, helping people, preaching. And Jesus said, hey, I know that you're working, but I want you to understand it's important that you have time to rest with me. And if you remember last week what was going on, they got on the boat, and the purpose was to get away, to have some quiet time. But if you remember, people saw them on the boat, and a whole crowd ran after them, and Jesus had compassion. And he's like, okay, well, I guess we're going to serve them. So just, just have it in the back of your mind. They had already been exhausted. They were heading to rest. Their rest was interrupted. Can you imagine how exhausted they are at this point? They're like, I'm out. I'd have been working. I ain't had no time to eat. We're about to go rest. Oh, wait a minute. No, we're not. And what is so interesting to me is that we can see Jesus still caring about them. He's dismissing over 5,000 people. So I'm imagining that's, that takes a minute to say goodbye. But he says, hey, you know what? While I'm doing this, y'all, y'all, go, y'all go get on that boat. I know y'all been waiting. I know y'all are tired. I know y'all just handed out. I mean, I don't know how, how long it takes to hand out food to 5,000 people. I'm sure it's, it takes a minute, right? Like, y'all just did some stuff. Like, you, you go ahead on the boat. I got this. See, Jesus cares for the well-being of your soul. It's, it's not simply that, that Jesus sees us as workers, our slaves, our robots, but he cares deeply that we get rest, that, that, that we have rest in him. It is a kindness that he, he is dismissing the crowds and saying, yo, y- y'all need to just go and rest. Remember, we learned that Jesus cares, that our soul is cared for, and that we are getting spiritual rest. But then you see what he, what he began to do after that. He says, says, after he dismissed the crowds, he went away to the mountain to pray. And we can see that Jesus prioritized his, his communion with the Father. That he, he, had, he was working all day, he was doing a lot of stuff, and he sent his disciples away. When all is said and done, I imagine he was tired, but he says, the thing that I need to do is I need to go pray and I need to be with God the Father. At the draining ministry, that's what he wanted to do. And the reality is, I just taught this like last Sunday, and this week I forgot it. <laughs> like, I'm not even joking. Like, I, I remember it was Friday, and I, you know, I'm preparing to go on this missions trip, and, and I want to care well, well for people. And I remember on Friday, I was, I was kind of feeling some anxiety. I was like, I gotta, because I'm, I'm preaching. Uh, when, I, when I go to something, I got to prepare the sermon. And I, I got to make sure everything's ready before I go. And I just find myself getting, getting kind of anxious. And, and literally, I'm sitting here writing the sermon I'm preaching to you right now. And I'm like, I just, I, I just forgot what I just said last Sunday. I need to, I need to pause for a minute. And, and I need to go be with the Lord. 
I need to go be with the Lord. And I remember, this might be weird to y'all, but I, I, I'm just telling you, I was real tired. I, I, I laid down on my face in my office. I said, Lord, I need you. I, I'm experiencing anxiety, and, and I just preached about resting in you, and I'm not doing it. Lord, help me. And, and I remember I was thinking about the scripture. Um, there's, there's a couple of scriptures about Jesus and boats and water. And there's, it's not in this one, but there's another scripture where his disciples, uh, there's a storm. The disciples and Jesus are in the boat. And the, the wind and the waves are, are tossing about. And the disciples are afraid they're going to die. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. All right. And you, I don't know what it's like. I don't like water anyway. I imagine I couldn't be sleeping real nice if there's a storm. And, I, and I, as I was seeking the Lord, I just began to think about that story. And I thought, man, well, how could Jesus rest in the middle of this storm? How could he go to sleep when everything around him was looking crazy? And I just thought, well, Jesus trusted in God's love and the sovereignty. And I I felt an invitation from the Lord in that moment. He says, why don't you rest in the boat of my love? Why why don't you lay down? Why why don't don't you let your heart be at peace? And you can think about, you got to do this, you got to do that. This crisis has happened. These people need to be cared for. All these things that need to be done. But listen, listen, if you would rest in the boat of my love, understand that I care for you, that I'm sovereign, and that I'm going to take care of everything, you can have that same rest that Jesus had in the middle of the storm. And I believe that's an invitation to all of us. Look, we can't control life. Sometimes life's just crazy. You just, it is what it is. But, but, but we can rest in the truth that God loves us, that he is sovereign, and he is in control. And that can just make you take a deep breath of an exhale and go, no, I, I know that the Lord is going to take care of me and I can rest in him even though everything is going crazy. You know, when I look to the example of Christ, I see that we should imitate him. Remember last week, he was tired, but he saw the people and he said, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. He cared for them. He began to teach them. And And he also desired this communion with God. Jesus is embodying what he says the greatest commandments are. In Matthew 22, somebody says to him, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to them, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. And what I love how, how Jesus demonstrates love for God It's not just by saying it. His love for God is demonstrated in purposeful time spent with God. Yeah? So he didn't just say, I love God, but he said, I'm going to to section off time to make sure that I have time to be with him. And so, beloved, what what I'm telling you today, if you want to grow in your love for God, that you would set aside time to be with him. To sit with him, to be encouraged. That's the craziest thing is, is sometimes I think I'm too busy. Sometimes I'm worried about all the stuff I got to do. But every time I go be with the Lord, I leave encouraged. I leave encouragement on the table because I think I'm too busy. But I go and be with him in his word. And it, it encourages me and I pour out my heart before him. And somehow, though I am receiving from him, that is a demonstration of me loving him. 
this posture of reception that I would have time to, to adequately be with him. Love for God is demonstrated in purposeful time with God. And then love for our neighbors is demonstrated through tangible service. It's not just saying that you love someone, but it's actually sacrificing for their good. It's, and it's what we see Jesus doing in the text. He's tired, his disciples are tired, but he loves them. So he says, y'all go on ahead. I got this. I got this. And then and, and I love when you think about love your neighbor, there, there's, a, there's a, a, somebody, a scribe came to him and he said, who is my neighbor, Jesus? He was trying to be smart, I guess. And the, he tells a parable, but the point is, he said, your neighbor is even the person that you dislike the most. That's the one I want you to show love to. Look, who is your neighbor? Everybody has, you got family and friends. I hope you like family and friends. I'm not saying that. But you got family and friends. You got, you got people on, uh, at your job. Those are your, your everyday people you see. Those are the people that you should love. And that, that one comes a little more easily. But also the ones who frustrate you. Those are the ones. And that love is not just verbal and it's not just emotional. It is tangible service. So so if I want to obey Jesus and and fulfilling the great command of loving God and loving others, it has some tangible expressions. And that I am carving out time to be with God and I am having uh, times of tangible service that at times is costly. But that is how we can live out these great commandments. So as the story goes forward, we, we go to verse 47. It says, well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea, and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. What I think we learn from this, this group of scriptures is that Jesus sees us in our struggles and moves toward us in our struggles. I, I can imagine being one of the disciples on the boat when the storm is going crazy and you're all nervous. I know I would imagine they're going, where is Jesus? Does he? He the one told me to get on this doggone boat. Where is he? I can't be calming down storms. I know he can. Where is he at? Does he care that, that we're here? Like, in his reality, y'all all have been there. Maybe not on a boat, but you've been in times in your life where you're like, where is he? Does he see this? Does he see this pain and confusion? What's so beautiful about this text, it says before he did anything, he's away praying on the mountain, but he saw them. Listen, you might be in a, in a horrible struggle in your life and you're wondering, does God see me? Beloved, yes, he sees you. You are not struggling and he's not, and, and, and his posture isn't simply looking away. He sees you in the midst of the storm and he has compassion on you and he is moving toward you. Now, listen, if, if I'm the disciples, I'm thinking, well, could you move quicker? <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm, it's nice that you see me and everything, you know, but, but could you come on down? You know, he's praying from, from night into morning, and you're like, uh, okay, listen, listen. There are times when you cannot see him, and it seems like he's taking too long to get to you. But, y'all, he's on the way. 
He's on the way. He's coming. And the question is, why, why, why would he even take that long? What, 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 why, why did he just instantly deliver them? I think this is one of the reasons that Jesus wants to show you his glory in the middle of life's storms. You know, if you read the passage, it seems somewhat confusing because it says, it says, he went down there walking on the water and he meant to pass by them. You should go, wait, what? Why he go down there and he gonna pass by him? What is going on here? And then they're like, hey, Jesus. He's like, oh, hi. Don't be scared. You know, <laughs> like, what is going on? Now, listen, we need to ask the question, what does pass by mean? Look, from, from, from a study Bible called the Faith Life Study Bible, it says the same expression, pass by, that same expression appears in the Old Testament when God wants to display his glory to his people. So you could read that and you, just, you could see it as Jesus just being rude. But, but here's the reality. is Sometimes when you read scripture, there's some phrases, some words that should operate as hyperlinks. You know what a hyperlink is? You click on it and you're like, oh, that's what that means. Or here, put it another way. Sometimes I'll, we, me and my wife can have secret conversations in office. The office. You know that show Michael Scott and them? We can just start saying stuff. There'll be a word or a phrase and we're like, we just start quoting from the office. What's going on? There's a hyperlink that opened up this whole world of meaning and conversation. So, so when, when, when the, the, the Jewish people were reading the scriptures and they saw he meant to pass by them, this hyperlink oh, oh that's pointing to something I know about. I know what that's about. In Exodus 33 Moses says Please show me your glory. And God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass by in front of you. And I will proclaim the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. What was Jesus' intention? It was to display his glory. To display his goodness in a way that they would not have seen had they not had trouble. See, Jesus wants to show you his glory, and oftentimes his glory is best seen in difficult situations. And if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you know that to be the case. If you look back and go, when was God present to me? And then you think about the actual situation, you're probably like, I don't want to go back to that situation, but I remember that he was there. I remember that he sustained me. I remember that he showed me his goodness. I have seen God's grace in some of the worst of times. This is verse in, 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 in Psalm 119, and, and Psalm 119 is this long meditation about how good God's word is. And there's a couple of verses that really should, 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 should impress it upon you. In Psalm 119, he says, before I was afflicted, I didn't know your word, but after I knew it. What I think he's saying, he's not saying I ain't heard of it before, but he's saying I understood it on an experiential level when there was some affliction. You know, when, when, I, was, when I was doing this, writing this sermon, this picture of, of, of the first martyr came in my mind. When the first martyr is in Acts, and it's, it's, it's Stephen the deacon, and Stephen is preaching, and they want to, to, to say, you can't preach about Jesus, you can't talk about this. And so they begin to stone him, they begin to throw rocks at him until he dies. And then if, if you pay attention, it says, Stephen looks up and he says, I see Jesus. 
standing at the right hand of God. Y'all, let me be real. I don't want to get stoned, but I want to see Jesus. And, and listen, and if, if in the middle of, of, of horrible circumstances, if I can look up and see him, man, that's worth it. That's worth it. See, a lot of times when we think of the Christian life, I think a lot of our prayers are revolving around help us be safe. And y'all, should, well, that's good. We should be safe. I pray that. I'm about to travel. I'm praying that. But I think sometimes we have to, to, to ask ourselves a question. Do we want a quote-unquote safe life or a life in which we encounter God. Because most of the time, you can't do both. The, the, the disciples were the ones who said, yeah, I'll follow you. And these are the same ones who are, who are in the boat freaking out. But can't nobody else say they saw Jesus walking on water, though? Can't nobody else say they saw the glory of Jesus in that particular way? Beloved, to say yes to Jesus it might not be safe, but it's worth it because you get to see his glory, his power, his deliverance. See, the presence of Jesus in the middle of trouble ought to give us encouragement. Remember what he said? So there, Jesus is a ghost. I don't know. He said, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. In other words, I'm with you. You don't have to be afraid because I'm with you. Now, when I was reading in the, the CSB study Bible, it says the words, it is I, that's what he says, it is I, literally is I am. In Exodus, that's the divine name of God. And it's almost like he says, don't worry, God's here. I, yeah, I'm God. Don't be afraid, I'm right here. Listen, Jesus did what God alone could do and used God's name to identify himself. And he is saying to his disciples, you know, you heard that I was called Emmanuel, God with us. Listen, I'm that right now to you in the middle of the storm and the troubles of life. I am with you. And beloved, if God's with us, we're going to be all right. Yeah, we're going to be all right. In verse 51, we see that, that Jesus delivers us from our struggles. 51 says, then he got into the boat with them. The wind ceased. They were completely astonished. What's interesting is Jesus ain't in this story. He didn't even say nothing. Jesus just shows up. <laughs> Jesus is here. Okay, we cool now. <laughs> you know, like, like Jesus is here. All storm. See, listen, listen, listen. So many of our troubles are solved with the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus addressed our past struggles, it addressed our present ones, and it'll address our future ones. Listen, listen. Beloved, we were stuck in sin, in guilt and shame. And what did Jesus do? He showed up. The second person of the Trinity became flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died in our place and rose again. Beloved, the presence of Jesus delivered us from our sin. And the, the presence of Jesus, it soothes our present problems. Listen, there are times when, look, I, I preach the gospel, but there are times when I'm, I'm caught in guilt and shame. And I need to go be with Jesus. And Jesus, in his presence, goes, no, you don't got to hold that. I've taken care of that. Jesus provides that present connection with God when I go and be with him. He says, he says, he says in John 17, Jesus says, I have come to give eternal life to everybody you've given me. And this is eternal life, that they know the one and only true God. I get to be connected 
with God because of the presence of Jesus now. And even in the middle of life's storms, when Jesus is present, I have peace and joy. So not, not only does the presence of Jesus soothe our problems, listen, the presence of Jesus in the future will, will remove all our problems. When he comes back, yeah? When Jesus comes back in the flesh, all evil will be done away with. His nearness, his presence, that's our good, that's our deliverance. And in view of all that, we need to be careful that we do not allow our hearts to be hardened. In verse 52, it says, because they did not understand about the loaves, instead their hearts were hardened. The disciples ought to have trusted that Jesus would deliver them because he just did it. <laughs> he just did it. What is going on here? What, what does it mean that their hearts were hardened? See, see, sometimes a hard heart can mean like a willful rejection of, God, of God's truth. Sometimes it can mean like, like I heard about it and I'm like, nah. And then my heart gets hard and, and, and I no longer listen to what, what God is saying. But I don't think that's the case with the disciples. They already said they followed him. It's not the case that they heard or saw something that Jesus did and rejected it. I think in their case, it meant ignoring or not meditating on God's past faithfulness. It's not that they rejected something. It's that they didn't let their minds linger on what God has done. And because they didn't let their minds linger on what God has done, in the moment of, of, of trial, they got anxious. Is that not us? Is that not us? I, I can get in a moment where I'm like, oh, no. You know? and then, but then like, if somebody starts asking me about my life, and I'm like, can you show, what, what, how's God been faithful to you? I'm like, yeah, there and there and there. You know, I can just start naming them. And the irony is when I start naming God's faithfulness, I, I, I get a little bit less anxious. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, he did do that. And he did that. I remember when he did that. That's one of, one of the things that's so important is that when God is faithful to you, that you would tell your brother and your sister in the church so that they can be encouraged to remember God's faithfulness. Listen, we can live life in such a way and at such a fast pace that we don't think about all the good things that God has done for us. And when we live in that way, when moments of trial come, we get anxious and we get afraid and we forget how God has been good to us in Christ. Beloved, this text is a warning to us. It's a warning that, that we, we wouldn't just, just go from, from, from deliverance and deliverance or go from scriptural truth to scriptural truth, but that we would sit and that we would think about it and we would meditate it and, uh, and it would be in our hearts so that there are moments when, when we enter the trials of life and we can go, wait, wait a second, wait, wait a minute. What did he just do? What just happened? Was he not faithful to me? And y'all, I'm preaching to myself because I just told you I forgot last week. <laughs> but I'm like, wait a minute. Why am I freaking out? When time and time again, he has shown his goodness to me. You know, when, when we read the rest of the verses in this little passage, it's interesting. These people who didn't know Jesus that well um, actually had a different reaction to him 
These people who weren't his close disciples ran to Jesus in faith and received healing. Look at verse 53. It says, when they crossed over, they came to the shore at Gennesaret and anchored there. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him, him being Jesus. They hurried throughout that region and began to carry the sick on mats wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, into villages, towns, or the country, they lay the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they may touch just the end of his robe. And everyone who touched it was healed. I think this is supposed to cause us to go, okay, okay, so the disciples who had seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle get into a bond, and they're like, what? These people who weren't that close to Jesus, who had just heard about him, they're running towards him in faith and getting delivered. Like, there's, there's the, the disciples' fear and astoundedness versus these other people's faith. And, and they're running to Jesus in faith and receiving healing. I can imagine the disciples, like, like Jesus did the, the bread thing, and he calmed the storm, and then they get on the shore, and people are getting, getting healed. I bet they were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, Oops. You know, like, like, probably shouldn't have been tripping back there. You know, like, look what he's I, I forgot he could do that. You know, like, it's not even the first time he's done that. But then they are reminded again, man, this Jesus we follow is powerful and compassionate, and he can deliver people from a lot of different kind of stuff. That ought to soften our hearts. One of the things that softens my heart is when I just just listen. Look, I'm gonna brag on, on somebody. So every morning, every Sunday morning, I, I come here early and I sit here and I pray and I wait for Jeremy to come in. It's, it's a really cool thing. He just starts telling me all these cool things God does, and I'm like, I'm ready to preach now. <laughs> like, he didn't. He didn't told me about God's faithfulness in so many different areas, and I go, Oh yeah, He is faithful. He, that is the Jesus that we follow. So, beloved, we have to keep our hearts soft to the Lord so that we can have confidence in the Lord and that we can trust in his power and his plan to deliver. So how, how, how can we do that? How can we keep our hearts soft? How can we not fall into the trap of the disciples? I want to give you some tangible things you can do. Listen, we keep our hearts soft by remembering the truth of the gospel. You know, the interesting thing is, is I, sometimes when I get up to preach, and I, and I know I'm going to talk about the gospel because that's, that's one of the things I do, I go, I'm about to say this again. You know, like, I didn't get annoyed. I'm like, but it helps me, though. I don't know. You know, <laughs> like, like, here's the truth. The truth of the matter, this is the, the gospel is that God, he, he created us. He loves us. He cares for us, provided everything that we need. And yet, yet because of sin, we rebelled against him. And that separates us from him. That sin, that rejection of his commands and his laws, it, it puts us, uh, we put us, ourselves in the category of his enemies. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life in our place. And he died the death that we should have died. Because of his love, all of our sins have been placed on Jesus on the cross. And he rose again so that, that if we would come to him, God does not see our sin. He just sees the righteousness of Christ. And all of us have to, to, to at some point make a decision, well, am I going to trust in this Jesus or not? 
But beloved, if we trust in him, if we, if we say, yeah, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to repent, I'm going to turn away from sin, and I'm going to seek you with all of my heart, man, he lavishes us with the grace of the gospel over and over and over again. You know, sometimes, this, this, is, a, this is a game I used to play in my mind, a lot of times fear comes from, you, you have anxiety and fear because you're afraid you're going to lose something, right? And so I, I do this thing on my, okay, what are the things that I can't lose? What, what is secure? And sometimes I just go to Ephesians chapter 1, and I begin to think about the things that no matter what happens in my life, I can't lose. I cannot lose that before the foundations of the world, God predestined me to be in Christ. I can't lose that. I cannot lose the fact that Jesus Christ died for me. I can't lose it. I cannot lose the fact that, that he, he was going to lavish his grace on me for all eternity. I can't lose the fact that he has given me the Holy Spirit as a down payment so that I can be assured that eternal life is mine. There are some pivotal, important things that I can't, I can lose a lot, but this is stuff I can't lose. And if I keep my mind on that, it helps me to dwell secure. It helps to soften my heart so I'm not hardened. Beloved, we keep our hearts soft by remembering the miraculous things that he has done in our lives. I mean, I don't want to just recount my life to you, but I can just think about, man, God has been so kind. And I've heard from y'all. Now, he's been kind to y'all. Think, think about the circumstances of your salvation, how the word of God came to you. Think about answered prayer. You know, think about the times when you felt God's presence. If you just sit and think about that, your heart gets soft. You know, one of the cool things that's happening now is I'm getting to see the Lord do stuff in my kid's life. I'm like, man, he's been faithful. Like, like I, can, I can trust in him. One way we keep our heart soft is that we cultivate a heart of attentiveness and gratitude for what Jesus has done. Remember, it, it, gratitude don't usually just come. You got to cultivate that thing. You got to think about it. You got you got you got to put some effort into it. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm gonna be honest. Sometimes my prayers are a lot of asking for stuff, but not a lot of thank you for what you did. But in the moments that I do do that, I'm like, oh man, looky there, you've been abundantly kind to me. There's this ancient prayer practice. I've told y'all before. I'm gonna tell you again. It's called it's called examine. Y'all in school, y'all, I don't want to do an exam. It's not that. Examine, it talks about examining your heart. And the idea of the prayer practice is that, let's say you go through your, you get to the end of your day, and you review your day with an attitude of thankfulness. And you just go throughout your day and go, thank you, God. Man, that was a good cup of coffee this morning. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank, thank, thank you, Lord, that, that, that when, when I got to work, that stressor that I was really worried about, that wasn't there anymore. I thank you, Lord, for that one family member who said that encouraging word to me. Listen, listen, this is a practice that we can put in place. It's not difficult. But what if you, maybe it's the end of your week. Maybe you did that for you. Maybe you just paused at the end of your week. You go, let me review my week with an attitude of thankfulness. Where can I see God's grace? And you'll find that, the, that faith in your heart begins to rise up and and, and joy begins to, to come, come up as well. 
would be, we'd be people that would not harden their hearts like the disciples in the text, but would we be a people who would look at God's faithfulness and have an expectation, well, if he'd been faithful back then, I think we're going to be all right. <laughs> we're going to be all right. So may God grant us soft hearts so that we may remain confident in the plan and power of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word and how it instructs us. It uh, it convicts us, but it also provides hope. Um, Lord, I just pray that, that you would give us encouragement as we look in your word and as we look in how you have dealt with us in the past and we can say with confidence that you are faithful, you are powerful, and you will remain so. Lord, help us to be a people who um, just, just embody a quiet confidence in you. A people who have an expectation that you will move, that you will do awesome and good things. Lord, even as we pray for our families, ourselves, we pray for our community, let's not pray as people who have not experienced something cool before. Let's pray like people who have a testimony of your faithfulness. Lord, we love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.